This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. The title of today's uh, message, and I think it's on the screen, yeah, The Call of Paul. That rhymes. I had to do that. That's very cheesy, but I had to do that. The Call of Paul. I could have said the call of Saul, who became Paul, <laughs> y'all. But anyway, anyway, I'm getting. It's not getting any better. Someone said they were listening to a po- the podcast from last Sunday sermon, and I told a joke, and they couldn't hear anyone laughing because the podcast didn't pick it up. I'm like, it's actually not because the podcast didn't pick it up. No one laughed at the jokes, so it's all good. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 is where we will begin this morning. If you have your Bibles, great. Look along. If you don't, uh, verses will be on your screen uh, in front of you there. Verse number 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, By which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. This passage of scripture, the, the entire thought takes up many, many more verses. The entire thought uh, continues from this first verse all the way down. Uh, doesn't end really until the end of the chapter. And if you notice, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. And then there's like a dash or whatever your Bible says there. And then he goes into this, if indeed, and he starts talking and talking and talking. What happens here is Paul begins to pray for the Ephesian Christians in the church there. If you look down, if you have your actual Bibles, (laughs) you look down, verse 14, it's not on the screen, says the same thing as verse 1. For this cause I bow my knee. So he picks back up in verse 14 with his prayer. So really verses 2 through 13, we'll hit the last part of it next week. But really verses 2 through 13 are like a big old parentheses. So he's like, I'm about to pray for you guys. Hold up. Have you ever been there? How many of you are distracted prayer people? Raise your hand with me. All right. Here's the way prayer works sometimes. Dear Lord. You are a great God. I love you so much. Thank you so much for just, oh, thank you so much for my wife and for my two daughters. God, thank you. God, you're the greatest God. God, oh, oh, God. Oh, I wonder, what time I, did I set my alarm? Do I set my alarm? I just trust it the way. I got to get up at 515, but I mean, oh, I don't know. Uh, you know what? Did that, did that automatic draft actually come through? Did they take that money out? or? Oh, oh you know what? Man, I need to text so and so, and then you know, I, you know, I need to reach out to people this week, and I really do. I need, need to go to lunch with at least one person this week. And you ever been there? And then it's like, sorry, Lord, 
back focused, right? My, my attention deficit uh, kicks into high gear oftentimes when I'm praying. And right here, Paul begins praying and says, hold up, let me just reinforce something. To be completely honest with you, I'm not going to do this to you. I could, what he really reinforces is exactly what we really preached about the last two Sundays. I'm not re-preaching what we've preached about the last two Sundays. We're not doing it a third straight week. But he really kind of re-preaches that. And we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit as you'll see as we walk through. But basically this is Paul beginning a prayer but wanting to remind the Ephesian Christians of some very important truths. Can we pray together this morning? I promise I won't interrupt during prayer. Dear Lord, we love you. Speak through your word. Open our ears. Open our hearts. May we leave here with the word of God planted within us. Not my words, not my personality, not what I want to say about a passage, but what you intended the passage to mean. God, I pray that we as a church would hunger and thirst after the word of God. God, I pray that we would be a church that when we hear a sermon preached that's not straight out of the Bible, God, we would our ears would perk up because we, we're not used to that. And God, we would desire your word. God, we love you today and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're talking about Paul. We're talking about kind of how God called Paul into the Christian ministry here as a, as a prophet, as a apostle. Let's see number one this morning. Paul, the prisoner. Paul, the prisoner, number one, verse one says this, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. If you know the history of uh, at least four of the epistles, they're called the prison epistles. Paul wrote these letters to churches from prison. This particular epistle is one of those letters that Paul wrote from prison and theologians believe that he was actually in a regular house in Rome, not actually in the prison prison for this letter, and that he was actually chained to a guard, a prison guard. So couldn't leave his side. He was chained to a prison guard when he wrote this. Once again, that's not, I can't prove that to you in in Bible. That's just what's kind of been passed down. And it doesn't necessarily matter to this. However, all that to say Paul was in prison. He was physically in prison. He was not able to leave and do whatever he wanted to do. So he was in prison. The book of Acts highlights this many times. So he was a, an actual physical prisoner. And Paul could have very easily said, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Roman guard. That would be very acceptable here. The prisoner of the Roman guard, the prisoner of whoever the man's name was that he was chained to at the time. But Paul does not say that. Paul says, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was not a prisoner of the Romans, but he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. See, Paul, even though he was physically chained to or tied to or connected to, or if you want to look at it this way, a biblical word from the Gospels, in the yoke with a Roman prison guard, he viewed himself as chained to, tied to, connected to, in the yoke with Jesus. Jesus. Matthew 11, 
Verses 28 through 30, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take, Jesus says, my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Paul did not prioritize his physical imprisonment. Paul was not focused on his physical surroundings at this moment as he is writing this letter to the churches. Paul was focused instead on his eternal mission from God. That I am tied to, chained to, yoked up with God on his mission. On his mission. And he wanted wanted to highlight that to the church. I'm assuming the church would have been empathetic, sympathetic with Paul saying that I'm a prisoner of the Romans. And they would have said, yes, you are our brother. And maybe we'll send you a little bit of extra food this month. Or we'll send you a little bit more money this month. But Paul highlighted the eternal. He he highlighted his mission that God had him on. And my question for you this morning, Christian, do we prioritize or do we focus on, do we center our attention on the physical, the temporary, the circumstances of life, rather than focusing on our spiritual calling or our commitment and our mission that we've been given from Christ? You see, Paul was a prisoner of Christ? Do you tend to focus on the struggles of this world and the struggles that are in our physical world this morning? Or do we rest in our calling and our connection and in our yoke and in our chains to Christ? Romans 8 verse 18, for I consider, Paul says that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Listen, if you are uh, alive this morning, there are some things in your life that could have you chained down. If you're alive this morning, if you're breathing this morning, there are things in life that can have you tied down and, and physically speaking, temporarily focused. We could be in chains. But our job this morning is not to focus on our circumstances. Our job is not to look horizontally. Our job this morning is to focus on the fact that we have been, we are a prisoner of Jesus Christ. We are chained to, we are in the yoke with, we are connected to him. I'll give you this as a quote this morning if you want to if it'll make it a little bit more concise for you. Your chains are either chains of bondage to sin and the flesh or they are chains of supernatural power as we are guided by God to accomplish his mission. You can look at it this way. Are your, the chains in your life, are they chains that are holding you back? Or are they chains that are pulling you forward? Are your chains holding you down? Or are you chained to Christ as He lifts you up? We need to view our chains differently. We need to view our chains as Paul did. His imprisonment, his imprisonment was vertical. I am a servant of Christ. So we have Paul, the prisoner, he's in prison writing this letter, but he doesn't even acknowledge the fact that he's physically in prison. He acknowledges that he is a servant, he is a slave to, he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and we should be as well. But secondly, this morning, I want us to see this, Paul, the mystery revealer, revealer, sorry, that's a hard word to say, Paul, the mystery revealer. 
Look at verse 2, if indeed, this is where he starts off, right? He started to pray, hold up, got to talk a little bit more, got to reiterate some things. He starts. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation, another word for that, and maybe in the Bible that you have in front of you, it may say stewardship. Uh, That word may be in there. If if, If you have heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Don't let Bible words, biblical language mess you up. Paul is saying, I'm about to reveal something to you. I was given this truth as a steward. A steward is someone who doesn't necessarily own it. They've been given it to watch over and manage. So Paul says, I'm about to tell you a mystery, a truth. We're going to talk about it. And Paul's saying, listen, God gave this to me on stewardship. He gave it to me so that I can give it to you. That's what, that's all this means. Once again, you know, don't get bogged down in Bible language sometimes. So here is the stewardship of the grace of God. It was given to me for you. How that, by revelation, he made known to me the mystery. As I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He says, listen, I've written about this mystery before. Paul was a writer. He wrote a lot of letters to the churches. We're going to talk about at least one instance that he wrote about this already. And he's basically saying, Ephesian Christians, you may have heard about this truth before. I've written about it before. You may have read those letters. As you know, those letters were delivered to the churches, and then they were copied, and they were scattered around as, as, as far as they could be. So they may have read this. So they may have already heard about this. Verse 5, Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets. We're about to get to what that mystery is. So just hold on. But I want to I talk a little bit about that. As Paul interrupts himself, as he was praying, he introduces the Ephesians to this mystery. He says he has written about it previously, although he's not written about it yet in this letter to the church. About five years previous to this, he wrote a uh, book of the Bible, a letter to the church at Corinth. It's called 1 Corinthians. We've all heard of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he mentions in chapter 4 and verse 1, let no man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And he continues and talks a little about this, this mystery. Okay, so Paul has taught, in fact, not just that one instance, there's approximately 20 instances in Paul's letters where he refers to the mystery. It's not always that exact word, but it's that concept. Paul is saying that it didn't used to be this way, but for this age right now, this this point in time, God has given me this truth to share with you the church. It's part of what makes up the Bible. It's how we get the truth of today. This mystery. I'm a mystery fan. In fact, I don't do it as often now, but I used to be really into reading a lot of books, and I need to get back to that. When I was a kid... The Hardy Boys. How many, we got Hardy Boys fans in here? There we go, come on. Nancy Drew? Oh, there we go, all right. That's cool. Now, I remember Hardy Boys book number two. I forget what one was. Number two was The Secret of the Old Mill. I can tell you, I can't really tell you all about that exact book. But I mean, my childhood was lived with Frank and Joe Hardy. And my childhood had uh, their friend Chet who had a jalopy. I didn't know what a jalopy, I thought it was like a hamburger or something. It's like an old car, you know? And uh, I thought it was a hamburger. It didn't really make much sense being a hamburger, but I thought it was something to eat. Like, I'll take a jalopy, sure, man. Side of fries, we're good to go, <laughs> you know? But, they, but 
I remember reading those mysteries. And as a kid, y'all gonna think I'm a nerd, but as a kid, I wanted I read those books and I couldn't wait to get to the end of those books because I'm like, I wanna know what happened. Like Frank and Joe and Chet are heading to the old mill. And I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I want to know what happened. Um, I enjoy those. I enjoy uh, movies um, that, are, that, are, that are that type of mystery. There are uh, a lot of TV shows we could reference, you know, back in the 80s and 90s as well, of mysteries. What's that, Murder, She Wrote? Y'all were thinking it, yep. Today, I guess, my pop culture references are now TV shows and not 90s pop music. So that's cool. I'll probably figure out a way to work in a 90s pop song in here in just a minute. Just wait. Hold on. But I love a good mystery. But practically speaking, what we need to know about this ministry is that Paul was continuing to introduce a theological concept to the church at Ephesus. He was introducing something that they had not yet been taught, they had not yet grasped, and he was beginning to unpack that. And the truth and the mystery that he was unpacking had a lot to do with what we preached about the last two Sundays. The fact that when Jesus Christ came and he shed his blood on Calvary's cross and he was buried and he rose again, that now not only could Jews come before the throne, now not only were Jews accepted 100% into the church and into the family of God, but that Gentiles were and they had the exact same standing in Christ. And as we theologically apply that, that's a big deal because we truthfully believe that Jesus came for everyone. We don't believe that Jesus just came for a certain pocket of people. We believe that grace is abundant and that grace is full and free and that grace is available to everyone. So we believe that, but then we've, we've talked about kind of the horizontal of what was really going on back then. You had the Jews who hated everybody that wasn't a Jew. And as I mentioned the last couple of weeks, unless someone in here is 100% pure you know, Jewish nationally, then we are all in here, we are Gentiles. And I think one of the errors of our Scripture interpretation sometimes is we like to view ourselves when the Bible talks about Jews. We're like, oh, the blessed people, that's me. Hashtag blessed, right? I put it on, my, put it on, on social media. I, I've got a, they're talking about me there. No, really, all of us, we're the Gentiles. So had Jesus not come, you and I would have to go through this list of laws and regulations to, to convert to be a Jew in order to be saved. So we, all of us in here, need to be very grateful for what Jesus Christ did when he came and he tore down that wall that wall of worship that the, the Gentiles could only come into the, the temple up until this point because that was the Gentile wall. They couldn't go past that and only the Jews could enter in there. And then from there, only certain priests could enter in there and then only the high priest could enter in here. No, no, he broke down those walls. And we worship together. Thirdly, this morning, Paul, the minister of Grace. I kind of got ahead of myself, but that's all good. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. This is the mystery. This is the end of the book. Open up the Hardy Boys book. Read the first chapter. Skip to the last chapter. Here's what happens. This is the mystery revealed. That the Gentiles, us, should be fellow heirs of the same body 
and partakers of His promise in Christ through the Gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. This is Paul speaking, given to me by the effective working of His power. Paul refers back to the time in his life when he was Saul and he was persecuting Christians and he was killing Christians and so and God changed his complete life on the Damascus Road and changed his name from Saul to Paul. Y'all, he changed his name from Saul to Paul and he references that, but he says that Gentiles should be fellow heirs. That means that what Jesus was given, Jews and Gentiles were given that believe on his name. That means the same body means that if you worshiped as a Jew over here and you worshiped as a group of Gentiles over here, he now says that you should be of the same body. And we applied that, I believe, the way it was effectively supposed to be applied in that time as well. And that is people that don't look like us should be worshiping with us. And, I, and I, if you have not listened to the last two, two messages, last week's okay, but please go back two weeks ago and listen to the message or watch it on YouTube if you, have, if you weren't here for it. We talked very directly about how God is calling us to be a multi, multi-ethnic church. We are a multi-generational church. We're not a multi-ethnic church, and we believe God is calling us in that direction. And it's going to be a slow process. But we, we're heading in that direction. We believe that that mystery was that you ought to be worshiping with people that don't look like you, that don't have the same background as you, that don't aren't from the same part of town as you, who don't like the same music as you, who don't vote like you. Man, I hope you voted this week. But how many of you understand if we all stood up this this morning and we said who who voted blue, who voted red? There's going to be people in this room that love Jesus that voted opposite of the way you voted this week. And you know what we're supposed to worship together? And we're supposed to love each other. And we're supposed to be a part of one body. And so this morning, as churches within five miles of us, there will be predominantly African-American churches that are meeting with just African-American people in them. And we have churches that are predominantly uh, white that have only white people in them. We don't believe biblically that's the way it's supposed to be. We believe that we are supposed to be fellow heirs of one body together. And as we walk down this path, as we begin this journey as a church, I want us to understand this isn't something that's easy, and it's not something that's just in my mind that's like, oh, this will be good. No, this is something as we we open this book and we read this book, we believe this book teaches that we should do that. And I don't really care if it's comfortable for me or for you, just to be straight up honest with you. I don't don't care about our comfort. I care that God has called us to be one body with multi-ethnic communities. And that's what I care about. I believe it's a biblical thing. It's not a preference thing. It's not, oh, this will be a good thing. No, no, no. This is a biblical concept. Concept. I do want to say one thing that no matter if we're multi-ethnic or not, as we are of the same body and fellow heirs, One thing that this does highlight, though, is unity. And unity must be present in order for this to happen. And I don't care if you have the same skin color as someone else or a different skin color as someone else. Unity within the church, one body, fellow believers coming together, is a main core principle as we not only move forward towards a multi-ethnic church, but we are even where we're at right now where we're not necessarily multi-ethnic. We must have unity, Psalm 133 
1, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. In unity. And let me say this. A church that is not united will not fulfill its purpose in our community. You say, Joshua, we're a brand new church. Yeah, but we're now over a year old. And look around you. There's a lot more people here than what were here six months ago. And look around you. We're going to get ready. We're going to start recruiting more volunteers. Someone came to me this morning. We talked. It was a great conversation. They're like, you know, we're getting big enough where that, that line of 80, 20% of the people do 80% of the work is starting to come to a little bit to fruition. And just very encouraging, but just like, hey, we need to start, we need to start recruiting more volunteers. We've got people doubling up in areas that we need, we need them to be able to spread out. And he's right. But the truth is this. The truth is that we must be united. Because as we move forward as a church and as new families are added to our congregation and as people that you don't know or people that you do know are added to this, con- this congregation, we must be united. I don't care what people look like. I don't care how many earrings they have in. I don't care how many tattoos are showing. I don't care any of that. I don't care what their bank account looks like. I don't care if their clothes are nice or their clothes are messy. I don't care if they live in a really nice house or, or, they, or they live in government housing. I don't care. At the end of the day, we must be united. William J. Seymour said it this way, I can say through the power of the Spirit that wherever God can get a people that will come together in one accord and one mind in the Word of God, the baptism of the Holy Ghost will fall on them. Don't let that scare you. I know it's Halloween last week, but it's the Holy Ghost. We want to be a church that when someone walks in, and I believe, and we have, we've had people say this, but we want to be a church. When someone walks in, they say, there's a spirit. There's just a spirit here. Sometimes they won't even know what to say. They'll say something like, hey, there's just something about it. When I walked in, there was just something about it. I love hearing that. You know what I believe that is? It's the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. That's the Holy Spirit working together in a unified body of believers that don't all look the same, dress the same, vote the same, live the same. But it's unity. It's unity. And I will say this as a church family, that we will go as far as we can go together. I don't know what God has for our church moving forward, long term. I'm along for the ride until death do us part. But we will go as far as we can go together. Together. Black, white, rich, Josh. (laughs) Um, We will go as far as we can go together. And Paul highlights this. This is nothing new. In fact, we were in the book of Philippians back a few months ago and we talked about unity quite a bit but I believe this was brought up as I studied this week because I want to make sure listen if you're in this church and you're a part of this church even if you're not this applies to everyone but if you're in this church and you're a part of this church and there's any kind 
I'll use a word I use, beef. Any kind of beef between you and another believer, between you and another church member, between you and another person that you serve with or volunteer with, please, please kill those problems when they're little tiny hurdles. Please don't let those problems become mountains that we as a church now have to help people get climb over and, and it's so tough. And Listen, if there's a disunity within an, an, I don't know of any, but if there are, would somebody please be a Christian and just say, I'll make the move. Listen, I want to make sure everything's right between us. I want to make sure that everything's good. Hey, I know this happened, and I know it could have been, and I really, listen, I just want to make sure. Because we're only going to go as far as we will go together. Listen, guys, I'm a pastor of a church. If I don't have people coming with me, man, I am going nowhere. And even if I'm selfishly preaching this morning, I am only going to go as far as we go together. And we as a church are only going to go as far as we go together. That means nothing about our numbers. It means all about our impact and what God is going to give us in the future. Paul's mission was to proclaim that Jesus and his grace was in fact available to every creature, to every ethnicity, to every country, to every city, to every family, to every individual. Paul spent his ministry proclaiming this truth that Jesus came for the Jews and the Gentiles. Some people hated him for it. He was persecuted for it. He was misunderstood for it. And can I just say this? If you were here one of the last two Sundays, I hope you can understand that when I get up and preach sermons like I preached the last two Sundays, they can be misunderstood. I told people that's the, it's the riskiest sermon I'm going to preach. It can be easily misunderstood. But I'm willing to speak it. Because the truth that Paul was literally called to was that truth. So today I do my best impersonation of Paul. <laughs> I started praying and I got interrupted. That's a great impersonation of Paul. But the grace of God and the Holy Spirit are fully available to everyone that we will ever meet. And my question in closing today. Paul's message was that Jesus Christ came to unite. And it's two ways. It's a vertical unification. We are united. We are reconciled to God. That is the gospel. In and of ourselves, there is a gap. There is a chasm between ourselves and our creator. And when Jesus came, he bridged that gap, that chasm. So vertically, we are connected, reconciled to God, unified with our Creator, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. But not only that, the gospel not only unifies us vertically, but the gospel unifies us horizontally. And that's the part that we must live out. That's the touchy subjects. That's the difficult conversations. That's the unity 
That's the I'm so sorry, I'm, I apologize. That's the I forgive you. That's the hugs. That's the phone calls late at night. That's the, that's the going out together and grabbing coffee. I invited someone this week if they want to go out and grab some water with me because I don't drink coffee. So I'm like, hey, you want to you go grab some water this week? Um, I don't drink coffee. If y'all want to go, I will go to Starbucks with you, though. I'll just get like an apple juice if you're cool with that. But that's where, that's where all of that happens, horizontally, horizontally. Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to his church, to his body. If you have never experienced that reconciliation, you say, yeah, one time when I was a kid, you know, they were like, hey, you want to go to heaven? Pray this prayer real quick. If maybe that's your story, great. And I'm for those things. I personally was one of those people that did that. And then for the next 15 years, I fought with myself over the fact that I prayed a quick prayer and I didn't understand what I was doing and I had no idea, was that enough? Oh my goodness, did I muster up enough faith? I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer. I'm asking you, has Jesus Christ made his way into your life and changed your reconciliation to God so that we can change and be reconciled to other people? It's the gospel. It's the good news. The good news that you are a sinner. That's some great news. Because you know what? You're going to sin and I'm going to sin and we're all going to sin and we all are on the same page. We are all level. We're all sinners. When the Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, it was not a fairy tale. It was not a superhero movie. It was real life. He literally came and walked on earth that we can travel to and we can walk on. He literally walked on that that ground, those rocks, that dirt, those, that grass. And he walked on this earth and he lived a perfect life. He lived the life that you could not live. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. That's the gospel. He lived the life that you could not live. And some 2,000 years ago, he died upon a cross. He was cruelly put on a cross. Willingly, he suffered and he bled and he died and he shed his blood on a cross. And he died the death that you deserved to die. For the wages of sin is death. Listen, you and I are sinners and our payment, what we earned, what we deserve, is that we should have been on that cross. And we should physically pay for our death. But Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. You know what the Bible says that we must do? Believe. Believe on the name of the Son of God. You say, what does that mean, Josh? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, good, good, good. No, 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 no. It means that you believe that you are a sinner. It means that you believe that you aren't perfect. It it means that you believe Jesus really did come and Jesus really did live that perfect life that you couldn't live. It means that you truly believe that he did die on that cross and he did die that death that you deserve to die. And he did, he was buried and he did rise again the third day and he is living That's the belief of the gospel. If you've never believed the gospel, I'm not going to do it today. I've done it before. But believing is simply this. It's not just saying that you believe something. It's taking a step of faith. And I had a chair up here. I'm not going to do it today. Made me a little nervous last time. But belief is doing this right here. Stepping up on that chair. Trust. Belief. Somebody's Bluetooth or something's going off over there. It's all good. I'm not sure what it is. 
Have you done that? Has there been a time in your life where you have believed on the name of Jesus Christ for your salvation, for your complete and total salvation? I want to give you that opportunity today. I believe it naturally fits with what we're talking about, that Jesus came for everyone. And you know what everyone includes? You. Jesus came for you. Have you surrendered to him? Have you believed on his name? For eternal salvation, that means heaven. When we leave this earth, that means heaven one day. But that also means that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you right now. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.